Well, good morning, everyone. Today, we come to the final uh, installment, if you will, of our series called Unfit, where we've been uh, walking through the life of Moses and some key points in his life and in the life of the nation of Israel, really taking a look at how, from the outside, it looked like Moses was really unfit to be used by God in such an extraordinary way, but God had different plans. And today, uh, we're, we're in this final in this series, and uh, I'm really excited about what God, what I'm hearing about God is doing um, in the life of our church uh, through this series. And I just want to encourage you, if God is doing something, uh, whether it is you know, a big thing or something that maybe uh, is, is large in the scheme of things but seemingly small, um, let us know about that. Let someone know about that. Give voice to how God is working and moving in your life. Now, is that the point where I normally would say turn to uh, the chapter and uh, book of the Bible? But we are going to be in three books today, uh, three whole books of the Bible. We're going to cover all of them. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, I'm out of here, man. Uh, so anyway, we're going to be in Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy as we uh, continue and, and finish out our series today. Now, I, I want to let you know ahead of time kind of where we're going today and what I, I would like for us to do at the end of today's message, because um, I think that we have heard some things about Moses that may help us relate to him a little bit more than maybe we did before, maybe than we did, you know, six weeks ago. Uh, he is a very relatable, flawed, uh, imperfect person, uh, but he was used by God despite all of those things. And at the end of today's message, uh, we have a, a room that's been set up actually by If Gathering, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, it's right through those doors. You probably can't see, but there is a door right over there. And backstage has been set up with 10 prayer stations. And when we're done today, I, I want to encourage you, if God is, is moving in your heart and leading, or if you just feel like God is calling you to go back and visit the prayer room back there, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, they've done an amazing job, the leaders from If Gathering, uh, that took place Friday night and, and all day yesterday. They've done an amazing job, and what a great way for us as we maybe realize that God can use us despite everything. What a great way for us to take some of those burdens that we're carrying and lay them down at the cross and maybe realize that God has gifted us in a certain way and despite our failures and despite our shortcomings, we feel like he has called us to a certain mission. What a great way to solidify that. And there'll be some Stevens ministers back there if you want to be prayed with. If you don't want to be prayed with, that's fine as well. It's self-guided. It's self-explanatory. Uh, explanatory, um, and it is a great, great thing back there. So I want to encourage you to, um, to avail yourself of that when our message is done today. And I want to just take a moment. We had 75 ladies here in this room over the last two days with If Gathering, joining in with thousands uh, uh, around the country. And um, what a great, great time that was. And Cindy Gambon is our leader um, who led our team, an amazing team, uh, through If Gathering. And, and if you were a part of If, ladies, this morning, um, I just ask you to raise your hand. And um, man, we are so thankful that you guys were a part of If Gathering this weekend. What, what an amazing time focusing on what God has called you to do and what he's called you to do um, in his church. I don't know if you've ever had a time, well, let me ask it this way. 
we're going we're gonna, to uh, do a little survey here in the room. Uh, if you're joining us at home or back on the backstage patio, you guys can join in too. If you're driving, don't join in, okay? Just listen. <laughs> How many of you have ever been angry in your life? All right, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Turn around. I say this a lot. You're in good company, right? Yeah, all right, all right. All right. How many of you have ever been angry and what you did with that anger changed the course of your life? You don't have to raise your hand on that one. I'll be nice. How many of you have ever been angry enough where it changed the course of your life? Anger is one of these things that we deal with all the time. And while today's message isn't specifically on anger, I think we're going to see something in one of the greatest leaders, one of the greatest spiritual leaders that we've ever seen, that a lot of us who have had anger issues and have express those not in a healthy way to ourselves or others or the world around us. I think we're going to see that he was in the same boat that we were, and perhaps for good reason, but it changed the course of his life as well. We have to take a step back. The nation of Israel has come out of the Red Sea or has been led by God through the Red Sea They're in the Sinai Desert now, and of course last week we talked about how Moses was, you know, really kind of up against a leadership issue, and his father-in-law Jethro stepped in, as in-laws are so good at doing and giving advice, and he changed uh, what he was doing and how he was doing it, and he was able to counsel and lead the people much better because of Jethro's uh, advice and him listening and taking it. We've talked about how Moses, even before this, had killed a man and and buried him in the desert, thought he was going to get away with killing a man. How Moses wasn't able to speak very well. He sometimes didn't have the words to say, or maybe there was a language barrier, or maybe he even stuttered. And how can he be the one that goes to Pharaoh and is the one who leads Pharaoh to let my people go and to say, make this declaration, let my people go? How can he be the one that's leading two and a half to three million people out in the desert to the promised land? Simply, God chose him. He's the one that God chose. And we find the nation of Israel traveling as if they're going to vacation, but this is a long way to get to vacation. The promised land is far away. It should have taken them roughly two weeks to get there, and it is taking them 40 days years. And God is leading them on this crazy, circuitous route in the desert. And it's interesting and it's exciting and I don't know, all the things that you might think of if you think of that many people out in the desert. And I want to read for context what happens in Exodus 17 verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to skip over many, many years and come to where the nation of Israel is almost in the promised land. Check this out in Exodus 17, 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin. You might also see that spelled zin. It's interchanged there, but it's interesting that it is spelled sin in some cases, by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, um, uh, but there was no water for the people to drink. (laughs) Two and a half to three billion people and no water. That's going to be a problem, right? 
Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test God? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Remember last week they were complaining and they said, you know, why did you bring us up out here into the desert just to let Pharaoh come and kill us out here? Let's go back to Egypt. And if you read all of Exodus and even into Numbers and Deuteronomy, you're going to see a theme that when hard times come, the whole nation of Israel is telling Moses, let's go back to where we came from. Slavery was better than what we have now. That's what they were saying to Moses. And that's essentially what they're saying here. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? Have you ever had that feeling with someone or someones? When my kids were young and they were babies and they were screaming all the time, there were times that I cried out to God, what do you want me to do with these people, all right? So that's a little bit of what Moses is uh, being faced with. What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Moses realizes this is not going well. They're going to stone me. They're going to take me over. Verse 5, And the Lord spoke to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. That's when it turned to blood. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. I want you to hear what God tells him to do. He tells him to take the staff and to what? Strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us? Or not. Now, there's a whole lot there, but what I want you to see today is that God told Moses to go to this rock and to strike the rock, and water would come out of the rock. And God supplied two and a half to three million people water from a rock. This was a miracle. Can we agree? God was providing for the whole nation of Israel, He was providing in the midst of the desert. Water in the midst of the desert. This wasn't a mirage. This was real. Now we fast forward to Numbers. This is many years later. This is actually close to the end of the nation of Israel's time in the desert. They're about ready to come up near the promised land. And then very soon they would cross the Jordan River and they would enter the promised land, which was called Canaan. And Numbers is such an interesting book. Some of you are like, how can a book by the name of Numbers be interesting? I agree. <laughs> but it is broken up in such an interesting way, kind of uh, five different parts. There's the part, chapters 1 through 10 is their time in the Sinai wilderness. 
the Ten Commandments. That's where the Ten Commandments are given. Um, that's where Moses goes up on to the mountain and, and brings back the Ten Commandments. There are, there are a few travel chapters where they're traveling in uh, chapters 10 through 12. There's the wilderness of Paran, which is verses 13 ver, uh, to 19, chapters 13 to 19, where they sp- send spies to take a look in the promised land and two come back and are excited about what they saw and the other 10 are terrified. There are more travel chapters, chapters 20 to 21, and then they find themselves in the wilderness of Moab in chapters 22 through 36. And I want to encourage you to not let the name of Numbers deter you from reading it because it is essentially an extension of the Exodus story. But we find here in Numbers 20 a very similar circumstance to what we found all the way back in Exodus chapter 17. Check this out in verses 2 through 9. Now, there was no water for the congregation. Sound familiar? There's no water for the congregation. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Now, this is years later. Years later. When Moses before was like, hey, they're going to stone me, now they're assembling together against he and his brother. Aaron is Moses' brother, and they're the ones that are leading. And the people quarreled, once again, with Moses and said, Would that we have perished when our brothers perished before the Lord? Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Think about that. Think about that for a moment. Was it not bad enough in Egypt? They were enslaved. They were forced to do hard labor. They were beaten by the Egyptians. They were treated with great cruelty and evil. And they're saying this is the evil place. It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. And there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. You and I probably would do the same. Two and a half to three million people rising up against you. The odds aren't good. Something bad's going to happen. And they fell on their face. And the glory of the Lord, uh, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock. I want you to say that with me. And what's that next word? Tell the rock. Tell the rock. Before their eyes to yield its water. Does this sound familiar? Sounds very familiar. From Exodus chapter 17. God told Moses before to strike the rock, and he would receive water from the rock. This time, he's telling him to go to the rock and to tell the rock. And he tells him to do it in front of the whole assembly. Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and to their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded. Let's keep on reading. Verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, 
And Moses says to the whole nation of Israel, Hear now, you rebels. He's not happy, is he? Hear now, you rebels. Shall we, we, we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and what does it say he did? He struck the rock with a staff. How many times? Twice. He struck the rock, uh, rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. Did he provide what they needed in this situation? Did Moses provide what they needed? Yes, they needed water, right? They needed water. Did he provide it in a way that, that fed everyone and the cattle? Yes, the Bible tells us that Moses provided the water. That the cattle and all the congregation were able to receive it. Verse 12, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly to the land that I have given them. Does that, to you, sound a bit harsh on God's part? I'm just being honest this morning. Does it sound a bit harsh? I I personally think it kind of does. It sounds like it's a little bit harsh. Keep reading here, Deuteronomy 32, 51 through 52. God says to, to Moses, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of uh, Merabah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel, for you shall see the land, the promised land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I'm giving to the people of Israel. The Lord even took him up right before he dies. Takes Moses up and lets him see it. Deuteronomy 34, 4 through 5. And the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Now. Let's just stop for a second and think about this. Moses, when he was in Egypt, saw an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew brother, and he went uninstructed by God and killed this Egyptian. And not only that, he tried to hide him in the sand and looked around and thought nobody was watching, but they were. He killed a man and God used him in a miraculous way despite that sin despite his murderous sin and yet when he strikes a rock instead of speaks to the rock like God had told him God says you're going to take everyone up to the promised land but you yourself are not going to lead them into the promised land why in the world was this the thing that seemed to have disqualified Moses from completing the project of leading the people out of slavery and into the promised land? Why was it this thing? 
Why was it this thing? Of all the ways that Moses was seemingly unfit to do what God had called him to do, why was this thing so important to God? This was the thing that compromised Moses' ability to fully be used by God. And I think that maybe if we take a look at this from God's perspective, we might understand why this was so important to God. And I think there are so many lessons, and I've just picked four today, four lessons that we can, we can learn. Because I think the real question here is for you and for me, what compromises our ability to be used by God. See, at some point in time, God is going to use us, but at some point in time, God might say, hey, wait a minute, I don't think you're the person to be continuing this project or this mission or this thing. And I want to try to understand from, from God's word what really makes us unfit to be used by God? Because this is a little bit out of the ordinary. And, and, and Moses goes to that rock, and just like before, he, he looks at the rock and he says, well, last time I was supposed to strike it, but why did he strike it twice? I think he was angry. I think he was angry. I think he was angry. I think he was sick and tired of being in the desert with these people who are whining and complaining. This is six hours into your vacation and everybody is ticked off and they're ticked off at the driver right we passed five mcdonald's dad why haven't we stopped yet i want another coke can we get out are we there yet the whole thing but i also think that moses was probably angry listen please don't miss this i think he was angry at god I think he probably was at the point where he said, why me? And he lashed out in anger and struck the rock twice. Not just once, but twice. And I wonder if he struck it the first time and no water came out, if his anger just went through the roof. Have you been there before? I have. I remember my grandfather. Man, we're, I'm Irish, right? So, you know, you've heard of the Irish temper, right? So... We've got a little bit of that in our family. And I remember my grandfather, he, he, had, uh, you know, he had bald head right here and hair right here. And I remember that there were, there were times when he would get really, really angry. And, and I saw him once, and I was kind of on some stairs, and he was down the stairs. And I looked down, and all I saw was Pop. That's what we called him, Pop. And all I could see was his head. And that white Irish head was bright red. It was bright red as he was ticked off about something. Just mad. Just angry, angry, angry. What compromises our ability to be used by God for things today? First of all, we compromise our ability to be used by God when we directly disobey God. When we directly disobey God. I think there are far too many people saying that um, God uh, has written the Bible um, for your best life, for your best, and, or that sort of thing. Well, let me explain. To a fault. Yes, he wants what's best for us. But he also desires for his glory to be shown. He desires for, for his redemptive work to continue. 
And when we directly disobey God, when we walk knowingly into that sin, into that thing that we know is not of God, when we walk into that thing that maybe in the still small voice of the night you've heard God say, I need you to do this, and you do just the opposite, that's when we compromise our ability to be used by God. And we read it just a moment ago, but Deuteronomy 31:51 says, Moses, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters in the wilderness, and because you didn't treat me as holy in the midst of the people, that's why, that's why you won't go into the promised land. That's why there's going to be someone else who will lead the people into the promised land. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, instantaneously, as soon as he strikes the rock twice, the Lord tells him, he and Aaron, because you did, do not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land. There was a direct disobedience. What had God told Moses to do to the rock that was going to provide the water? Talk to the rock. Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. You see, once again, Moses is doing something. God has called Moses to do something that isn't necessarily in his wheelhouse. Remember, he struggled with speech, didn't he? And so I'm sure he had that staff in his hand and he looked down. I'm not going to talk to this rock. I'm ticked at them. I'm ticked at God. I'm ticked with, maybe he's mad at Aaron. I don't know. Brothers do fight sometimes, don't they? <laughs> and he struck the rock. We compromise. Our ability to be used by God when we directly disobey God. Secondly, we compromise our ability to be used by God when we, listen, please don't miss this. When we take credit for what God has done. I, I have to check myself all the time on this. I have to check myself. And sometimes we're so excited about what God is doing, we kind of join in with giving ourselves the credit. We kind of join in and we want to take a lap for God and maybe another one for us, right? You find it right there when Moses and, and Aaron are talking to the people of Israel. And he says, here now, verse 10 of Numbers 20, they gathered everyone together before the rock and said to them, here now, you rebels, shall, what's that next word? We. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? It's also something that happens when our anger turns into our temper and we become out of control. We don't think about what we're saying. And so Moses right there is kind of yelling at the people, calling them rebels. <laughs> Can you imagine the whole nation of Israel? What? Rebels? Rebels, not us. <laughs> Even though they've rebelled against God a thousand times. And he says, we, we shall bring water out of this rock. And he lifted up his hands and he struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And I'm sure in that, Moses, in that moment, Moses was like, I did it. <laughs> I did it. I did it. 
Have you ever had a, a moment where maybe a boss or someone who's a supervisor or a parent or someone in your life that's told you to do something and, and you, you, have, you have executed it and, and produced and, and you're done and it's successful and you go back to them and they look at you and go, that's not what I told you to do, but I got the, I got the result. Yeah, but you didn't listen to the words. You didn't listen to the words. I told you to do this, not that. And yeah, you got the result, but what you don't realize is you've caused all of these problems. And the problem for Moses was that he took credit. He took credit for something that God deserved. Credit. Thirdly, we compromise our ability to be used by God when we fail to lead by example. This is so incredibly important. And I love that God points this out. He says in Deuteronomy 32, 51 and 52, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel, the waters, in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy, what does he say next? Because you didn't treat me as holy in the what? In the midst. Today, the words would have been, you didn't treat me as holy while all the nation of Israel was watching Leadership by example. He lost his temper while everyone was watching. God had set the stage for God to do yet another miracle. And Moses, in the midst of that, with everyone watching, struck the stone in anger. And y'all, I've been there before. Cynthia just talked about it. What's the thing that is in your life that your hands can't fix? Your hands can't control. You can't fix whatever this is. God can. But when we think that we know the way, we edge God out. Other eyes are watching. Other people are looking. They're looking at our actions or our inactions, as the case may be. And we, if we're going to be people who are used by God, have to realize leadership by example is highly important. God wanted to show his glory, but God wanted to do one more thing, and it's the last point today. God wanted to use this as an example of how Christ would one day come, and he would be the living water. And Moses took that opportunity and put so much focus on himself and so much focus on his anger and didn't realize what God was doing that he discredited the gospel. And that's my fourth point. We compromise our ability to be used by God when we discredit the gospel message. And this is hard for pastors to realize because when pastors get together, you know what we talk about? The first thing we do when we see each other how big's your church? <laughs> How many people do you have in your church? How many people got saved last year? How many people did you get baptized? That's beginning to change post-COVID, and I think that's a very good thing. Because we naturally, our human self focuses on on what we have done, what we did, what, what, how, how, what kind of impact we've had in the good things of life. 
And sometimes when we do that, we discredit the gospel. Listen, God had a metaphor. He had a message that he wanted to communicate to the children of Israel that foreshadowed that Jesus was coming one day and that he came to save the world, that the Messiah was about ready to come. And Moses kind of blew that opportunity because he was focused on himself. And you and I, we discredit our ability to be used by God, or we compromise our ability to be used by God when we discredit the gospel message. Look, Paul talks about, he talks about this in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. Remember, God had done this before, years before in the desert. Paul says, for I, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, he's talking to the Christian brothers there in, in the church in Corinth in this letter that he's writing, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Remember, God led the nation of Israel by, with a pillar of uh, uh, fire at night and a cloud during the day and passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea and ate all the same spiritual food and drank all the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Isn't that awesome? A foreshadowing. The whole story of Moses and the nation of Israel is a foreshadowing of Jesus and God's redemptive story. And I don't know about you, church, but I don't want to be the one that discredits that gospel message. God had a special plan for Moses. And it could have been to lead the nation of Israel out of bondage and into the desert for 40 years. And then it could have been possibly to lead them into the promised land. But that wouldn't happen. And that was part of God's plan, too. Because when Moses died, the one that led them was Joshua. Also, the name, the Hebrew name, Yahshua. Which was another way to point the people to Christ. Another part of that redemptive story, all the way, that red line of redemption, all the way throughout history. Moses was an unlikely person to be used by God, just like you, just like me. He stumbled he failed. He didn't have that natural leadership instinct that some had. He struggled with communication. He had sin in his past. He was raised and born basically to be put in a basket in a river. He led the people in the desert and we see here that he, he didn't trust God even though God had given them manna from heaven the whole way. He lashed out in anger. Does any of this sound familiar to your story? See, here's the thing. You can be used by God. Despite all of the things that maybe you or other people look at and go, there's no way, there's no possible way. You can be used by God. If he used Moses, he can use you, please don't be closed to God's working in your life. Don't be closed to God using you for, for a specific purpose. 
for part of his redemptive purpose. There are people who are following you just like two and a half million people. Thank goodness for most of you, it's not two and a half to three million people. There are people that are following you, that are looking to you, and you can be used by God. Don't miss the opportunity regardless of what your life has looked like up to this point. He can begin to use you today if you are open and if you're willing to be used by him. I want you to pray with me this morning. And as you pray, I want to read Hebrews 11. By faith, this is the hall of faith all the way in the New Testament. Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were afraid. They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He considered the reproach of Christ greater, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. By faith, he led, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. By faith, he kept the Passover. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. And by faith, God can use you, even if you seem or are, are unfit. God doesn't see you that way. He sees you as his child, one that he can use if you're open and if you're willing to be used by him. Father, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus for everyone who's in this room. Father, I pray for those who have gathered online to watch, maybe on the backstage patio. And Father, we've learned so much about Moses. One of the most highly unlikely people to be used, unfit seemingly, but you used him anyway. And help us, Father, help us to be careful to not compromise our ability to be used by you. Father, I thank you that even, well, despite the fact that he didn't get to go into the promised land because he struck the rock twice, Father, he's still in that hall of fame. You still used him in a mighty way. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead the people who need to hear that they can still be used by you despite what happened yesterday, despite what happened years ago. And Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would empower the people of Hilton Head Island Community Church to be focused on you so that they can be used by you that they could find their mission, that they could find that purpose, that they could find their part in your redemptive story. And Father, I pray that we would lay down the stuff that we need to lay down. Maybe the sin, the lifestyle, the, the junk, the lack of trust. And that we would pick up faith. That we would pick up, as Ephesians says, the helmet of salvation that we pick up the sword of the spirit, that we would pick up those things that we need to be able to be used by you. And Father, I pray that you would take anything that's in our way as we respond to you, as we go back into the prayer room, as we uh, online join in and ask for prayer. Father, I pray that you would remove what needs to be removed and that you would grant us what we need to be used by you. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you're a God who looks so far past our past. And you see us 
your children and you want to use us. Help us to have open hands and an open heart about that today. In Jesus' name, I pray.